2: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies. I am your host, Movie Mike, AKA Mike D. I'm just the guy who loves movies. I would talk about them even if I didn't have this podcast. And every single week, I bring you a movie exploration topic. Sometimes I talk to actors and directors. Today, I wanna talk about some of the most successful, low-budget movies. These are all films that got made for a pretty small amount of money and ended up doing really well at the box office. I'll get into my review of Jackass Forever and in the trailer park, yet another Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot is coming to Netflix, so we'll talk about that. Thanks for being subscribed. Thanks for listening every single week. Special shout out to the Monday Movie Crew. And if you're down, I'm down. Let's talk movies. In
2: a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. Podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast.
1: So I usually get a lot of good feedback whenever I do episodes discussing some movie math. It's one of my favorite subjects to dive into. And this week, I wanted to get into movies that made a lot of money with a pretty small budget. And first of all, I just kind of want to set the stage of what a normal movie cost to make nowadays. And I think that will be a little bit better of a reference when we get into some of these low budget movies. Now, a typical movie now, cost around $65 million to make. It depends on who is the lead in it because now actors are getting paid 20, 30, sometimes upward of 50 million dollars for a single role. Streaming has greatly changed how much an actor can make because when you go and do movies for streaming services, there's really not a whole lot of money to make on the back end with ticket sales. But generally a movie can get made for $65 million. Of recent note, Joker, which was made in 2019, was $55 million to make. Joaquin Phoenix made about $4.5 million for that movie. But then you have bigger production movies, the Marvel movies, the big action movies, and a movie like Spider Man No Way Home cost about $200 million to make. And that goes on to make, you know, $1.7 billion. So that's kind of the range for a normal movie. And you think, oh, maybe an animated movie will cost a little bit less. Well, no, Encanto also cost $150 million to make. And and that has made around $233 million. Another movie for reference, Don't Look Up, which came out on Netflix, that cost about $110 million to make. And 30 million of that was paying Leonardo DiCaprio. 25 million of that was paying Jennifer Lawrence. So A great deal of a movie like that is paying the big star actors. And when you talk about low budget movies, generally the consensus is anything made under $2 million would be a low budget movie. This is a very independent movie. Anything under the $2 million range is probably going to have relatively unknown actors or maybe bigger actors taking a lower salary in order to get a movie made. Or it's the very first in a franchise of movies that later the sequels will make a lot more and the actors will get paid a lot more for. I think it's very rare to find a movie under $2 million. So we'll get to some of those movies under the $2 million mark. But I did want to start a little bit higher just to kind of get a bigger range on this topic. With movies that got made for less than $10 million. So we'll start first with Little Miss Sunshine that came out in 2006. It had a budget of $8 million. The movie stars Steve Carell. It's like a dramedy slash comedy road trip movie. And with it only costing $8 million to make after Fox Searchlight Pictures bought the rights to it, were able to put it out in theaters after it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, it went on to make $101 million. But not only that, this movie was highly critically acclaimed, won Oscars for Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor. So I feel like sometimes with these lower budget movies... Almost the idea is for it to cater to award season. I feel like in between the $10 million and the $5 million range is where a lot of these movies live because another movie that came out in 2007, Juno, cost $6.5 million to make, ended up making two hundred and thirty. million. $1 $1 million at the box office and also just had a lot of critical acclaim. And with both of these movies, they have a lo-fi feel. And a lot of what goes into having a successful movie with a lower budget is the story. I think you'll see a theme in all of these movies. There has to be something so dynamic about the story that would have people, you know, really pick out and want to watch this movie. And I think that's where the real success is with a low-budget movie It's something that you want to tell your friend about, whether the subject matter alone is worthy of wanting to watch the movie. And sometimes in Juno's case, it doesn't hurt to have a really good soundtrack, but also just really good actors who put up a performance that is worthy of winning an Oscar, along with that original screenplay that's something that hasn't been done before. And this is really something that... I kind of feel is like a win for a director, a win for an actor to be a part of a production like this. And sometimes it is the lower budget movies from an actor that become some of fans just favorite movies. So those are a couple under the 10 million dollar mark. Now let's get into movies that got made under five million dollars. And right at the five million dollar mark is 2017's Get Out directed by Jordan Peele. And with the relatively low price tag of $4.5 million to make this movie, it went on to make $255.4 million. That's a pretty good profit margin. And this is the first time in this list I'll talk about horror movies. But I feel like horror is a really lucrative genre when done right. When you have a unique concept, you don't really need a whole lot of other movie magic-making effects. It's all about the story. It's all about creating that feeling of of stress of anxiety when you're watching a movie if you can create that energy of keeping people on the edge of their seat while watching something that you know invokes a feeling of being scared in the theater or at your house that's all you need it's just that feeling and horror movies can do that and they can do that for a pretty low budget if done right and also in this category of movies made under five million dollars you have movies that are cult classics And I want to talk about Donnie Darko, which came out in 2001, cost only $4.5 million to make. And while this movie wasn't a box office success in any means, it only made $7.5 million at the box office. But Donnie Darko has become a cult classic, which almost goes further than any amount of money you can make at the box office. Sometimes movies come and go. A movie that made a lot maybe just a few years ago, we kind of forget about. But a movie like this that lives on forever and becomes people's favorite movie of all time, I think that's almost worth more. And even though it doesn't have that commercial success to really hold on to, if you can make a cult classic, you can almost live forever through that. Donnie Darko is probably a movie that this next generation will watch again and generations to come will keep watching because it has this following. So, while it's not successful financially, I think you can measure success in other ways of, you know, how long this movie is going to last and how much people are going to continue to watch this movie. And a thing that director James Gunn kind of explained so well that i was able to take away from recently is that he said that a lot of his favorite movies he didn't watch in theaters like jaws is one of his favorite movies but he's never seen that movie in theaters really none of us have But that movie lives on forever and ever because we watch it at home. We stream it or on the DVD, on the Blu-ray. So in Donnie Darko's case, that's how I measure this movie's success. Other movies in this bracket are from 2003, Lost in Translation, cost $4 million to make, ended up making $118 million. Also got nominated for four Oscars and won for Best Original Screenplay. And also in this bracket, the Oscar wins keep on coming. 2016, Moonlight came out cost $4 million to make, ended up making $65 million at the box office, and then the following year won the Oscar for Best Picture. A few more movies here to mention. Garden State, which came out in 2004, was made for only $2.5 million, ended up making $35 million at the box office. Another case of a really good soundtrack really helping this movie and helping it live on. Then in 2004, Saw came out, only cost $1.2 million to make, But ended up making $103 million at the box office. A movie that everybody talked about when that movie came out. How just shocking and incredible it was. And with just $1.2 million, it spawned an entire franchise that has now grossed over a billion dollars. And then, one more in this bracket. In 1992, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs came out. He made that movie for $1.2 million dollars. It went on to make about $2.9 million at the box office, but really kick-started his career after Reservoir Dogs. Basically, everybody wanted to mimic that movie and make their own version of Reservoir Dogs. All right, now I want to get into movies made for a million dollars, or right around it, and the first movie from 1976 is just a little bit above a million, but I feel like this is a pretty amazing feat for this movie. And the movie is Rocky, which was made for $1.1 million, went on to gross $225 million. And a movie that has become Sylvester Stallone's signature movie has also spawned one of the best movie franchises. It went on to win Best Picture. And what I love about the Rocky movies is much like Rocky in the real movie, it really was a sleeper hit. Nobody expected this to be the biggest movie of 1976 and then continued to make money and was the second highest grossing movie in 1977, right behind Star Wars. And a rare thing to happen is a movie like this to have such of a box office impact, a movie that a lot of people end up going to see because sometimes movies that get nominated for Best Picture, you know, not everybody has seen these movies, but a movie that had this much power going into it, was up for 10 Oscars and ended up winning three, including Best Picture. Like, that's amazing. That really hasn't been heard of in a very long time. So with all that considered, out of all the movies I put together on this list today, I think that is one of the most impressive things. But now we'll get into movies made for less than a million dollars. A horror classic which came out in 1960, Psycho from Alfred Hitchcock, was able to make this movie for $800,000, which back in 1960 was probably a lot more money, but it went on to make $50 million. An interesting thing I recently found out about Psycho, it's basically credited for being the movie that created movie times. Alfred Hitchcock had to make it a point that if somebody was going to watch Psycho, they had to watch it from beginning to end. And before that, it was a little bit more normal For movie theaters just to keep playing movies on a loop and people would come in and watch them and you wouldn't necessarily start right at the beginning and finish right at the end. You could just walk in at the beginning, maybe you're in the middle, maybe there's another movie starting right after. The environment really wasn't made to watch a movie. People in there were, you know, just hanging out. But when it came to Psycho, that's when the movie times were set. Like you have to arrive at this time, you have to see the movie from the start, to the end to get this movie. So not only was it a successful low budget movie, it also changed the way we go and watch movies. Now, how about we go even cheaper? In 1999, The Blair Witch Project comes out. The movie only cost $600,000 to make and you probably watch it thinking, I could have made this for five bucks in a VHS tape. And you're probably right, but the movie went on to make $250 million and really just created its own genre. With being the first movie to really adapt the found footage horror movie. I think the first one was called UFO Abduction. But Blair Witch is the one that really put this type of movie on the map. And the way they did this was really all in the marketing. And the thing that some horror movies do is they create these concepts and these ideas that you wonder to yourself as the viewer Did this actually happen? And that was the biggest thing behind the Blair Witch Project is it was kind of marketed and pitched as this actually happened somewhere. And you were just watching this. And that's what made it a little bit more scary. Kind of what they did with Texas Chainsaw Massacre to where some people kind of forgot whether or not that was a real event. And when you watch something in that type of way, it becomes more scary because you wonder, what if this happened to me? What would I do? And with something like the Blair Witch Project, it almost sounds like something that could actually happen. So the movie was such a pop culture hit. It then paved the way and set the stage for other found footage movies. But at the time was a totally original concept. And yeah, from $600,000 to $250 million, that's a really good profit margin. Let's go down even further. In 2004, Napoleon Dynamite comes out. The movie costs only $400,000 to make and ended up making $46 million at the box office. I think the most interesting thing about this is that John Heater, who plays Napoleon Dynamite, was only paid $1,000 for his role. And this is the movie that really put him on the map, allowed him to have other major movie roles, but really Napoleon Dynamite is the one movie that John Heater will always be known for. And luckily, he still makes money off the royalties after this movie was a success. He was able to renegotiate and get a percentage of the movie's profits, so he's made a lot more than $1,000 now from this movie. And I've seen other stories of people who were extras in this movie, they weren't paid, they were just like, hey, you want to be a part of a movie, hop on this bus and we're going to film this scene. And I think that is my new goal in life. I just want to be an extra in a movie. So if anybody has any leads on that, hit me up. A few more movies I want to mention before I get to the most profitable movie of all time based on return and investment. From 1979, you have Mad Max, which was made for $350,000 and ended up making $100 million at the box office. Now, if you want to compare that to Mad Max Fury Road, which came out in 2015, that movie cost about $150 to $180 million to make and went on to make $374 million. So it ended up making a lot more money, but also had to spend a lot more money Which one of those would be your favorite? I would still lean to probably Mad Max Fury Road. But for being able to make Mad Max for $350,000, as intricate as that movie is, that is also pretty impressive. From 1994, Clerks was made for only $230,000. And this was coming from an original budget that Kevin Smith only had about $27,000 to make this movie He sold off a bunch of his like rare comic books, maxed out every single credit card to get this movie made. And I love that this movie feels very low budget. You watch Clerks in black and white, and it almost feels like it was a movie made by a group of your friends. But it's one of my favorite Kevin Smith movies. And of everything he's made since, I think it's the one that resonates with Kevin Smith fans the most. And this movie made $3.1 million at the box office, but is the movie responsible for putting him on the map and allowing him to make another movie? I know there's another Clerks movie in the works. I thought Clerks 2 was great. My other favorite Kevin Smith movie is, without a doubt, Mallrats. I love that all of his films don't really have like this well-finished Hollywood polish to them. It's all about the writing, it's all about the comedy, and all about the character stories. Another low-budget movie was Swingers from 1996, cost $200,000 to make, and made $4.6 million. That was directed by Jon Favreau, who has done The Mandalorian, who has done the original Iron Man, and has really become an underrated director and writer. And the way he saved a lot of money while making this movie was, well, casting himself. You also have a couple of documentaries here. In 2004, Super Size Me was made for $65,000. That's it. And ended up making $22.2 million at the box office. And then Catfish from 2012 was made for $30,000. And that made $3.7 million at the box office. Documentaries can usually be made for a lot less money. But with Catfish and Super Size Me, those were documentaries that a lot of people talked about. So a lot of their success came from word of mouth and also just the power of them being able to storytell in these documentaries. And then finally, the movie that is the most profitable movie ever made based on return investment, it is from 2007, Paranormal Activity, which was made for just $15,000. That's right, $15,000. And for that low budget, it went on to make $193 million dollars They've made sequel after sequel spinoffs in this movie and it borrowed from the Blair Witch Project in the same way of you're watching this movie feeling like this actually happened to the people living in this house. And it's a pretty crazy and freaky concept that you'll go home and be a little bit freaked out at every single noise in your house. And where the paranormal activity movies took it a bit further, it was really marketing towards the last 15 minutes of the movie Like in all the trailers that played for this movie, it was like, you'll be shocked by the last 15 minutes. You're not going to want to miss that. And that creates a sense of like, oh, well, I really got to pay attention to this movie to the very end. I got to go see this movie in theaters. So there is such clever filmmaking in the paranormal activity movies that they don't get enough credit for to be able to take not a whole lot of money, a movie that looks like it was just shot on some old camcorders from, you know, the 2000s. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Coming up next... Actually, the movie that kind of inspired this entire list, I want to talk about Jackass Forever and some of the Jackass movies that came before it that were made for a relatively low amount of money. We'll get into that review next.
2: I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man How'd we do today? We did good. Good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry.
1: Gonna get into a spoiler free movie review now. I want to talk about Jackass Forever, which is playing now in theaters, a movie that was on my most anticipated movies of 2022. I'll just say it did not disappoint, but before I get into my full review, here's just a little bit of Jackass Forever.
2: If you're gonna be dumb, gotta be tough. You're still blowing people up. As if life's not hard enough. Man, I'm a jackass. It's a Texas rat snake. Venomous?
1: <sighs>
2: oh, <man. laughs> Francis hits harder than any heavyweight in MMA. I told Aaron it was a lightweight.
1: That's not a lightweight. What are you <laughs> guys talking about? Man, even that trailer makes me smile still. Well, let's talk about jackass forever. Like, this is what I want Out of a comedy-going experience in the movie theater. Because a jackass movie is unlike any other comedy that you'll see in theaters. Because it's a movie that you experience with strangers and can all collectively just laugh and unwind at a movie. And I haven't laughed so effortlessly in a movie in a very long time. And I think a lot of that is because of the format of a jackass movie. Which is unlike anything you'll really go to the movie theater to see. Because it's skit after skit. There's no following a plot line. There's no act one, act two, act three. It's just funny moment after funny moment. Sometimes the bits are seconds long and that's it. And that's just a lot of creative detail that goes into something so juvenile. And it's just funny that after so many years, some of the same gags of like hitting somebody in the junk are still funny. But in this movie, they also step up the creativity a lot because they are now... Older Johnny Knoxville is 50 years old, Steve O is in his late 40s, and all the other original casts are right around that age group. So, some of the more physical stuff was a little bit toned down a bit. Not to say they didn't really go for it in some scenes, but they brought in some new cast of characters that are younger, more vibrant, and able to take on a little bit more of the stuff that would result in broken bones. Because what I learned. From you know, hearing them talk about this movie. That it's a lot harder for their bodies to recover from this. And there were a lot more hospital visits in this jackass movie. Than any other jackass movie given their age. So this movie was 90 minutes of just fun. Like that's it. Plain and simple. I feel like this is a movie we all deserve to watch right now. A movie where you can really turn off your brain. And just laugh. Now was it my favorite jackass movie? I don't think so. I think... For some reason, for me, a good Jackass movie also has some heart to it. And I think for me, Jackass 3 will always be that. Jackass, the first one, has a special place in my heart because it was the first time that they could be more themselves and do the things they couldn't do on TV. I think Jackass 2 has some of the best and most memorable bits. But the cool thing about Jackass Forever is that they were, one, able to make another Jackass movie but two, it just felt like going to hang out with some friends you've had forever again. And I love the sense of community that the Jackass movies have created and really the promotion around this is it really creates a, almost a sense of community with a movie and with things like Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O, Man going into movie theaters to surprise fans. It's a really like fan-driven movie and they're able to connect with people Unlike any other movie franchise, because I feel like they don't really consider themselves movie stars. And it's the only kind of franchise where it takes somebody like Chris Pontius or Preston Lacey, who otherwise wouldn't be in a Hollywood movie, and really allows them to be able to shine. I guess for me, being such a big Jackass fan from the very beginning, I did feel a little bit like there was something missing from the movie, and maybe it's because... Bam Margera wasn't in it after getting kicked out of it. He really adds a lot to the Jackass movie, which I realized afterwards he is in it for a very brief moment. He doesn't get any kind of line, but I guess there was a stunt that they did that they wanted to include the movie that at the time he was still a part of the crew, so they didn't cut him out completely. And it's also the first Jackass movie they've made since Ryan Dunn passed away, tragically. So it was either not having them two in the movie... And then what they kind of did was show a little bit more of Danger Aaron in the movie and a little bit more of Wee Man. And I felt like for the first time I kind of saw what Jackass could evolve into because they are saying this will be the last one they make. But I kind of saw Johnny Knoxville take a little bit more of like a ringleader, which he's always had that role. But a little bit more of like the next movie could be Jackass Presents, like a movie that just Johnny Knoxville hosts. And he has these newer, younger talents doing All the crazy stunts, maybe revisiting some stunts they've done before just with new people. And although he really did risk a lot of his health for this movie, he takes some very hard blows to some really crazy things, proving that he is the ultimate leader in this, the ultimate jackass. But I did enjoy the new cast. I will say it's a little bit more of shocking, gross humor than maybe any other jackass movie I've seen for that reason of them leaning a little bit away from the physical comedy. The other thing I kind of feel like it missed was the grand finale. While it was a little bit more elaborate than some of the other final ending scenes in the other movies, I just feel in the past that's been a little bit grander. And I wonder if it has a little bit to do with them making this movie in during the pandemic. It's probably just harder to make a jackass movie when you have to deal with all those protocols. They started talking this movie back in 2019 Started early 2020 and it got kicked off by Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O both ending up in the hospital pretty early on. Then the pandemic hit, shut them down until about September 2020. They were able to get the movie done, was supposed to come out last year and now finally came out now this year. So I also did kind of get that feeling too of it being a hard movie to make given the circumstances. But I also think they made up for that a little bit with some of the celebrity cameos which I all thought were pretty funny. So I will say, if you are a fan of all the other Jackass movies, you will go into this one. You will laugh. Uh, Be aware, I feel like there's more male nudity in this one than any other Jackass movies. If you don't like things with fluids that come out of animals, vomiting, or blood, and people getting injured, probably not the movie for you, but if you're going into a Jackass movie, that's just something you have to expect out of it. I would give it four out of five broken ribs. And in a world of people being able to put up these ridiculous things on YouTube and TikTok, I really loved how they were able to differentiate themselves and show that they are the best at what they do. Now, tying this movie back into the theme, this movie was made for $10 million dollars. And all the other Jackass movies were made for relatively low budgets. The first one cost only $5 million to make and went on to win $80 million at the box office. Jackass 2 was made for $11.5 million and made $84.6 million. And then Jackass 3 was the most expensive one, which came 10 years after the original. That one cost $20 million. I think a lot of that was due to the use of 3D technology for that movie. But it also went on to make the most, making $171 million. I wish this movie all the success at the box office because with that $10 million budget, really allows it to grow. And I hope more movies come from the Jackass universe, whether it be another bad grandpa or something like I was talking about earlier. Or it's Johnny Knoxville kind of being the ringleader and just hosting a jackass movie because from what I've read, he can't take another blow to the head without risking his life. So that's what I think about jackass forever. I'm Elliot Connie,
2: and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I've never seen a man How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I break down a new movie trailer of a movie coming to you very soon in theaters or on streaming.
2: It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer
1: Park. And this week I want to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yet another reboot of the Texas Chainsaw franchise. This one is coming out on Netflix on February 18th. Before I get into what I think about this movie, here's just a little bit of the trailer.
2: 50 years I've been waiting for this night just to see him again. (gasps) Who? Leatherface.
1: Try anything and you cancel, bro. Oh, Oh, fuck. So I was excited about this movie until I saw this new trailer. Which made it look very cheesy, very formulaic. And maybe it was that last line of everybody taking pictures with their phones of Leatherface and like a bus. And the guy says, hey, if you do anything, you'll get canceled. I felt like that was a very cringe line for this movie. And already kind of took me out of what I thought this movie could be. The other thing, I kind of feel like it's following the formula of bringing back somebody who, you know, had to deal with Leatherface 20 years ago, and now it being the ultimate showdown between the two. It's almost exactly the plot of Halloween Kills, and with them rebooting Scream, with them rebooting Chucky into a, you know, a series now, with Texas Chainsaw now doing this movie on Netflix, I feel like it's only a matter of time before we get another Friday the 13th, and then another Nightmare on Elm Street. The other thing I don't particularly love about this is every Texas Chainsaw movie has a oddly unique title and it doesn't really make any sense of what film happens when the original one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then there's the part two but then you have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre which came out in 2003 which I thought was still a really good movie and then you just have Texas Chainsaw from 2013 Leatherface in 2017 so a lot of these have been hit and miss but with all those factors When you go into a movie like Texas Chainsaw, you only want to see one thing is Leatherface tearing people to shreds with a chainsaw. Doesn't really take a whole lot of thought to figure out. But the thing that I think will make this the hardest movie to watch is the actual mask and the way Leatherface looks in this movie. Like I thought it was a parody. I didn't realize I was watching the Texas Chainsaw trailer because it didn't even look like Leatherface. I guess if you're rebooting something, this amount of times you have to give it a totally different look, but I kind of feel like that's going to take me out of wanting to see this movie altogether. But if you want to check that out, it hits Netflix on February 18th.
2: And that was this week's edition of Movie
0: Minds Trailer Park.
1: All right, and that'll do it for this week's episode. But before I hop out of here every single week, I give a listener shout out at this part of the podcast. All you have to do is... Post on your Instagram story that you're listening to the episode. Send me a message. Tweet me at MikeDstro or hit me up on email. Movie Mike D at gmail.com. If you forget any of that, it's all in the episode notes. You can just click on that. And this week's listener shout out goes to at HaloBarbie22 on Instagram, aka Olivia. She posted a picture and tagged me in her Instagram story of her listening to the podcast on her iPhone and said, always listen to Mike Bistro's podcast when I get ready in the morning. Finally saw Spider-Man, so listening to this one first, then the new one for Monday. So she was listening to the spoiler version that I put out of Spider-Man No Way Home. So if you've had a chance to watch Spider-Man now, as it's about to cross the $2 billion mark at the box office, And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you you can go back and listen to all the spoilers that I talked about in that episode. It's a very rare thing I do. And with a movie as big as Spider-Man, I had to do one. So thanks, Olivia, for tagging me in your Instagram story. That's probably the easiest way to get a listener shout out because I love to repost those on my Instagram story. So if you want to be a part of this next week, just tag me in your Instagram story. I'll repost that and give you a shout out. And also, if you have any movie-related question, I will answer those at this part of the podcast as well. Send those questions over to my email, d at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening this week and for making it to the end of the podcast. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. Later!
2: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie.